Welcome to the Indian Science Show. I'm Turtle. And I'm Annie. And this is a podcast where we bring indigenous worldviews and western worldviews into conversations about science in Indian country. And also the rest of the world. But we really want to give a special shout out to all the young indigenous people out there. Thank you for being a part of the change. As we all are. And because both Annie and I agree that it's really important to begin every show on a note of gratitude, I want to be grateful not only to all the indigenous young people out there, but I want to be grateful to Annie and pass the mic to her so she can introduce herself. Thank you, Turtle. Yeah, so this is our first episode, and I think that we are both extremely excited to be able to have you guys listen to this. And we really wanted you guys this first episode to be about who we are, really why we wanted this podcast in the first place, even why we named the podcast. And I think it's really important to understand the format of the show as well. And I'm going to be extremely grateful to my mother because she really instilled to me at a young age, like the importance of who my ancestors were. And from her, I was able to learn and understand many different nations where I come from. And I am bitter at Salish on both my parents' side. I am also Nez Perce, Welsh, and Scottish. And I think it's extremely important to understand who you are. And I think it's amazing because, Turtle, aren't you bitter at Salish and Scottish as well? Yeah, yeah. And... That's really trippy because my mom also taught me about that mostly, even though my dad was around and he taught me a lot too, but he wasn't around during my teen years, which was really the years where I decided to run away from my traditional Mm -hmm. upbringing and ancestors. And eventually coming back to it though, later in life, I realized just how important that stuff really is. And my mom was a big part of helping me realize that although it really came down to me yeah making that choice and it wasn't really until i started learning who my ancestors are and all the diversity of who they are that i really really started to appreciate who i am in a lot of ways and i eventually learned that i'm amscapi picani and although blood quantum wise that's the second most abundant genes in my pool <laughs> Culturally, that's who I am. Mm -hmm. Those are the stories I know. That's the language that feels the best to me, feels the most natural. And the land, being on the Blackfeet Reservation, spending my summers there and learning who my family is over there was a huge part of who I am. But yeah, like you said, I'm Bitterroot Salish also on my mom's side and Scottish. And that's how we're related is through... Our uh, our Highlander <laughs> ancestry. Angus McDonald. Yeah. I always thought that was so awesome that our, what's, do you know how many greats? Uh, what, he's like my, he's my, greats? I'm the seventh generation from him. Yeah. So, six. So that's like great, Five, great, six? great, 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 great grandfather. Yeah. <laughs> but kind of like I said just a minute ago, I'm also Salish. And I mean, I know you've heard this before. But my dad is full-blood Seminole. Or wait, I said Salish again. <laughs> I meant to say Seminole. And so my dad's ancestors are all from Florida. Mm-hmm. And learning about Osceola and the Seminole Wars was really also very important. And 
it also confusing because after a while I, I thought, who am I really? I have all, the, I mean, yeah. what is being Indian? Right. Or Indian, depending on what family you grew up in. And my mom's Blackfeet, so she cuts off a lot <laughs> of stuff. Indian, I'm going over that way. But anyways, that's a story for another day. <laughs> and growing up on both sides of the mountains was really important. But I also really appreciate where I went to college there at Salish Kootenai College in Pablo, Montana. The diversity there is also really amazing. And I, you went to Haskell, right? I did, yeah. I, I know I've met a lot of people that transferred from Haskell to SKC. Yeah, I think I was like one of the few that were actually from <laughs> Montana at yeah. Haskell. Yeah, that, it's not a really common place to go. There was one guy... At some point, I don't even remember who it was, but he was at Haskell. I was like, yeah, there's another, there's another CSK team member. And I was like, yes. It's like, that's awesome. And then like, I come to find out like next semester he was gone. And I was like, oh, huh. okay. But it's really funny because I actually started out at SKC. Yeah. Yeah. So I did my first two years there and then I bounced to Hawaii and then I wound up at Haskell hmm. where I graduated. And you, you didn't get a degree at SKC though, right? No, I, I left before I really completed yeah. any degree i'd deal with the the joy of transferring credits right oh yeah that was so much fun <laughs> i heard a lot of uh i wouldn't call them horror stories i guess but just bad like negative stories about people coming from haskell trying to transfer credits and it not mm -hmm. working because how skc's trimester yeah. system is set up yeah, I think it's so important. Like as much as like I I struggled with the transferring of credits, like I loved SKC because SKC like really helped me to fall in love with biology hmm. and then eventually conservation was it Pat? biology. It was Pat Hurley. Oh, yeah. I love Pat. Pat was Definitely Pat Hurley. My gen bio teacher my freshman year me too. in 2008. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm just going to I have to take biology anyways. I was like, ah, I'm not going to like it. And then I fell in love with it and I have been in the same same science field for 10 years now hmm. so and she taught conservation biology too right did you I'm, take that one i didn't there? i left before oh, i okay. took any more biology yeah. classes i took gen eds i liked that class i ended up getting into ecology though and what was your degree in though um I got oh. my, my, uh, yeah, I got yeah, my I <laughs> bachelor's in environmental science, which come to find out, so do you, right? Yeah. We've been finding out some, <laughs> even just over the last couple of days, we've been learning that there's so many weird coincidences and synchronicities to Annie and I being here in Syracuse, New York, 2,000 miles away from our home and ending up in the same program. We're cousins. And we went to the same tribal college, mm -hmm. but we have so, our stories are so different. Very different. Where yeah. I kind of grew up learning a lot of like traditional medicines, going to ceremony, all the way up till I was 13, 14 years old. Mm -hmm. And then on my own choice, I decided to stop. I kind of just turned my back on all that. But... Yeah, eventually I came around and realized how important that stuff really is. And I'm glad I did that before I went back to SKC. After I did my whole spiel there, trying to be rich by getting into information technology, I went back to SKC and got a bachelor in environmental science. 
but I focused in ecology instead mm-hmm. of the biology realms of it. And then also got a, an associate's in forestry and a geospatial science certification and the master level tutor certification, which I didn't know at the time that I was getting it, but it's an inter- international oh, wow. tutoring certification. So I could go to France and be a tutor? certified tutor. That's awesome. So I thought, man, that's so cool. <laughs> and it, that's really what sparked my love of teaching, which I realized was really a love of learning mm-hmm. at its core. And that changed everything for me when I realized that to be a really good teacher, you have to be a really good learner. You do. You Just really like do. to be a good leader, you got to know how to follow. Mm-hmm. And eventually following my passions, I ended up over here in the same program as you, the Sewing Synergy program. Yes. And your story of how you ended up hearing about ESF and Robin Kimmer and the Sewing Synergy program is definitely not I've never heard of somebody hearing about that and actually ending up in that program through yeah definitely what uh it wasn't email was it no it was Facebook yeah it, I knew it was, it was on the internet yeah <laughs> and like I I complain all the time about technology and social media and, and how I'm not good at it and so I think it's just like so ironic that this one thing that I don't understand has led me to this point where I have actually like really figured out what I want to do with my, with my life, I guess. And so it's really interesting. So I just want to give a shout out to my cousin Mikey because she was the one that shared it. And, um, I don't know without, without her sharing it, I don't think I would have heard about the program. And we both attend the state university of New York college of environmental science. And we are getting our master's in environmental and forest biology where my focus is mainly conservation biology and i think this is a really cool part where i've kind of stayed in conservation biology and you're getting yours in something different right yeah i actually kind of assumed that we were all in the same thing Me too. up until i guess just the other day when we were talking about it and i noticed that you didn't say forestry and oh, that's yeah. totally understandable. <laughs> I mean, forestry is like, yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. Name. It's a long name for a school. <laughs> yeah, so we might as well say it. The So the full name is the State University of New York College of Environmental Science and Forestry. <laughs> but I think we're both more into the environmental science yeah. part of it. <laughs> <laughs> that That's what I just attracted to right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, Honestly, I didn't I didn't know how this school was organized for such a long like probably the whole first semester I was mm-hmm. confused about it. And yeah, so mine's in ecology and I'm definitely I knew that that was my shit right away almost mm-hmm. in undergraduate school even though I thought I wanted to be a biologist. But then I found out what biology is all about and what <laughs> biologists do and I thought, "Uh, eh, I'm a little more wishy-washy than that, I think." <laughs> I'd like to be more open with my ability to do mm, science. So yeah. ecology is like the liberal arts of natural science. <laughs> o- almost more than environmental sciences. But I don't know. Maybe environmental science is more wishy-washy than <laughs> ecology. Ecology is a little bit, more yeah. specific. And we're definitely doing very different projects, but I would say complementary for sure. Mm-hmm. They're all part of the kind of this big holistic view of what actually indigenous science really is and i think that's a really good way to bring up the topic of the show and this idea of introducing the show and why 
we named it the way we did and and also why we started the show. So personally, I think our we kind of have the same goal a little bit with why we decided to start the show. Yeah. And that's to get our message out. And it, it's a message that we both interpret slightly differently, but I feel like we really agree that it, the youth, which we both we we both kind of have struggle with that <laughs> word, the youth, as yeah. if we're not youth, kids, we're not young, <laughs> and as if somehow they're separate from us or something. But really, it's just young indigenous people, mm-hmm. and realizing that we are both young indigenous people, and we're a part of that continuum. All the way up to the elders, all the way back to our ancestors, and even now to our children. We're all part of the same community, and young people are struggling big time. I know we've both been having a hard time dealing with hearing about the suicides back home, and just our own families struggling with this idea of being indigenous Mm -hmm. in this modern world. But, dang, man, I got a little bit bummed out just now, but that reminds me of what, like a huge reason why we decided to name the show the way we did. The Indian Science Show <laughs> is to capture this idea that life isn't so serious and there's a lot of healing power and laughter. And I know that's one of the messages you wanted to spread to the youth. Yeah, I think it's just really, it's really important to remember how resilient our ancestors were and like how we are still continuing to be very resilient people. And I think we sometimes forget that when you surround, you're surrounded by this negativity of what comes with reservation life and even the oppression of indigenous people, you get wrapped up in the negativity that sometimes you forget like how resilient you are. And I think one way is to just, when you're with your family, you just laugh I don't even know how long you laugh and you just laugh so hard. And I think that's the one thing that has like really that shines through with indigenous people is like their ability to just laugh and just be happy. And it's, it's hard to, to see that when you're surrounded. But I mean, I think it's such an important message and this idea of reclaiming a word and making it our own. And yeah, especially a word that's been, used against us so much as a way to label us and stereotype us. And when I say us, I mean, I'm generalizing to indigenous people here in the United States, North America, and other places in, quote unquote, the new world. But really, this is something I feel a lot of indigenous people all over the world can relate with, is the labels that the colonizers gave us. And taking those labels... And not making it who we are, but owning it mm-hmm. and remembering that our history is a huge part of our identity. And it would be a dishonor to ourselves and our ancestors just to try to brush that under the rug and forget about it, even as painful as it is. I mean, I feel like that's actually a part of our science. Mm-hmm. Indigenous science is to always remember the past. Mm-hmm. And where we fit in to that continuum between the past and the future. It's not some straight line that we're just kind of la-di-da, just going down the road and there's no turning back. 
it's constantly there. I believe that the, our ancestors are they live through us, and in that way they're they're not this weird relic that's kind of just lingering behind us. Mm-hmm. They're present with us now, always, just like we'll be present through our children and our descendants. And so we're really all a part of the same time. It's not like we're separated from them at all. In some ways, that's kind of, I feel like Western or modern science could agree with that a little bit with our knowledge of the seasonal cycles and our cyclical rotation around the sun and stuff like that. And Although we were, I feel like we were raised fairly differently. We were both raised by scientists. We were, yeah. My My mom was... She's a political scientist and a social scientist in, in healthcare fields, and and your mom was a natural scientist. So I think that that's mm, like really funny yeah. how we have both um, both sciences at this point. Yeah, very similar and oddly aligned stories, but very opposite mm-hmm. in such a trippy way. And although this is a controversial subject a lot of what we've been looking at here in this program is integrating Mm -hmm. native science with western science and a lot of that talk has been about word usage terminology and the challenges and problems that you have when you start using words like decolonize or words like indian native indigenous traditional this is, and this is something I, I've never really thought about that much until I got into this program. I did think about it in undergraduate school some, and in my writing and stuff, but never so intensely. Mm-hmm. I feel like yeah. we'd spend, we've literally spent hours in entire class sessions talking about these different words. And really, it seems like it's all kind of surrounding this idea of walking in two worlds. Mm-hmm. Did you grow up? kind of believing that you were walking in two worlds or did your mom say because my mom told me that we're walking in two worlds no my mom really didn't um i think my mom definitely taught me the importance of education and how it's the one thing that people can't take away from you and so i think like her her understanding was a lot of education and a lot of kind of doing what I wanted to do. And a lot of, she was busy. My, my family is extremely busy. She, I have an amazing mother who has had many great opportunities. She worked for John Kerry. She, so she, she has done a bunch of stuff in her life and I'm so proud of her for doing all of this stuff. But, um, it, it left a lot for, for me to be kind of independent on my own and so we, we camp at Pow Wow every year, and um, we do Bitterroot, and we do ceremonies. and But it was never really this type of where it was two different parts. It was kind of like my dad would show me something and be like, okay, yeah, that's awesome. That's great knowledge. Like, I love, I love when I just go out with him and he shows me things. But it, I, I never considered it to be this idea of two worlds. And so when I'm actually here and I'm noticing the difference and I was a very, very hard scientist. I really enjoy habitat fragmentation. I love learning conservation biology and I was different. Like my undergrad was extremely just that 
you know, I, I really didn't focus Measurement. on. Yeah. Like quantification I side plots, like yeah. give me the quantity of it. You know, like I love the end number. And so like coming here and like, I think that's why I didn't think I was going to get into this program was because like I lacked so much cultural, just kind of connectivity that I really didn't get until really my mid twenties when I was going down this path in my life where I didn't know what I was doing. I had graduated. I was going through a really hard time. And then I did the return to the homeland walk where the Bitterroot Salish walked back to their ancestral lands and they walked so we can live. And when I was mm. doing that, like it had just changed my whole perspective. And it was at a time when I needed it the most. And so I had really made, started making an attempt to understand like what is my own cultural identity. And then I got into this program and now I'm learning all of this stuff. And, you know, I re, I don't know if I regret all of my undergrad work, but I just realized I could have done something more amazing and more whole if I would have incorporated traditional knowledge. Hmm. And I think it is something that is just a wholeness when you have both traditional ecological knowledge and Western science. That's something that it, when you have them integrated perfectly, it works. That's what I love about this program. That's kind of the weird part about it, too, because in some way, there's no way to fully integrate them either. Mm -hmm. But it's almost like they're integrated within us, not yeah. necessarily as, as they are, if that makes any sense. Like, we have the information of, of our ancestors. Like, we just have to remember it. Yeah. And Cynthia tells me that all the time, and I'm like, yes, I love that. I love, like, you just have to remember. And you say it, too, because you talk about we just have to listen. Hmm. That's... A huge part of my beliefs mm -hmm. as an Amskapi Pikani warrior and as a man, as a father. I mean, it, it's really intertwined and interwoven into all of the different layers of my identity that that's how you learn. Mm -hmm. That's how you, we learn anything is we listen. But you got to learn how to listen. Yeah. And that's a whole another story. <clears throat> I really think that that is really the message that both you and I really came together on when we decided to start this podcast was not only is it possible to bring these two different worlds together, but they're not really even two worlds. We all live in the same world. Mm -hmm. We're all breathing the same air. We all need water. We all need space. We all, and we all cherish children. We all cherish our families. And we wanted to really share this message with everyone. Mm -hmm. I mean, all yeah. humans, but especially young people and especially young native people. And that reminds me that I need to listen and that I need to take a step back and learn how to follow as much as I can. Otherwise, there's no way for me to help lead my family or help lead my community in a good way. I know I believe that all people are, are indigenous we just need to relearn our indigeneity for the people that, like the colonizing nations or the immigrant populations in colonizing nations. We're all indigenous, but we're all indigenous to somewhere, mm -hmm. like Angie talks about, right? Yeah. Yeah, Angie talks about that. She talks about how you really just have to go back to your roots. And I think when I first heard that, I 
I didn't know what to think because I was like, yes, I was like, that is what people need to do. People need to go back to your roots and it's whatever roots you feel the closest to. Like it, it doesn't have to be like, I'm majority of this, so I should go back to that root. You have something that in you that just draws you to a place. It is mm, your home. Yeah. Like it's your land. It just draws you there. You need to go back to it and you need to figure out how do you do that? Like, how do you go back to your roots? It's really finding who you are. And I feel like we, we lose that because we're, we're stuck to this one place. Res life is really like that. Like oh, once yeah, you totally. get there, it's so hard to leave. And I'm like, visit another place so you can see how someone else's culture is different from yours. And you experience these other worlds that you don't really get to see on the res. And that's that's really why I want to do the podcast, too. And I'm sure you can attest to this, because when you visit a place, it makes you realize the importance of your own community, who you consider your family. What do you consider home? Like It makes you realize the importance of it and how, when you feel like it's struggling back home, how can you fix it? And I feel like... Personally, for me, I had to leave in order to kind of understand how I can help my people and how going to Hawaii and going to Haskell and coming here to New York, like I've met some amazing people who have really changed how I look at myself and how my own political views and my own traditional views really affect who I am and how without that, you know, I don't know if I would have wound up wanting to do this podcast or really wanting to stay in science. And so I feel like it's just really important. And I hope that even if you're not able to leave where you are, like, I hope this podcast can kind of show you what's going on around the, not even around like North America itself, but I know I want to talk about around the globe. There's a bunch of amazing anti-colonial movements that are happening. Yeah, I can really relate to that idea that in order to really really value where you are you need to know what other places are like and in a in a interesting kind of way that that is connecting to land that mm -hmm. is connecting to place by experiencing other places and i know back in the old days we traveled all over the place mm -hmm. and we went and met all sorts of different nations so i know this is definitely Something that our ancestors did was travel a lot and see different places, but they always went back home mm -hmm. and rem and remembered where they got all of this wisdom and knowledge is from the land. And yeah, that's definitely kind of like an overarching theme of the show, right? Is being indigenous in the modern world. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of that is has it does have to do with traveling, but then remembering where we're at, where yeah. we situate ourselves culturally and in the wider world. That's a huge part of everyone's identity. And there's some really cool research articles that I definitely like to talk about, spe specifically relating to that idea of where you situate yourself culturally mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of culture, which is super <laughs> crazy and diverse all over the place. And in a lot of ways, it's just going back to not taking life so serious, realizing that Words can be problematic, but they can also be very powerful mm -hmm. when we take them and create our own identity with them, just like that word Indian. And I think one of the 
best worst uh, best uses of that word is ending time. Yes, it's <laughs> one of my favorite concepts. That it seems like a lot of cultures have that concept. It's yeah. almost like a human principle that it'll, it'll get done when it needs to get done. Yep. I'm and just gonna be a little bit late. It'll happen. It's, it's yeah, <laughs> it'll happen when it happens. And that is a perfect way to bring up the format of the show, which mm-hmm. really is running on Indian time. Yep. Strictly on Indian time. <laughs> and that's even kind of the even the format of the show kind of we will have different topics and different recurring themes, but generally speaking, we won't really have a specific set time. Most of them will be right around this 30 to 40 minutes. But I know I really love your idea of kind of having really short episodes talking about um, just an animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I have this idea for what we want to call Taxa Tuesdays. And they're just kind of really going to be short, little, maybe 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, maybe even a blog post, maybe yeah. maybe just like a Facebook post. We really haven't quite figured it out. But it's really delving deep into one taxa. So I know that we kind of consider taxa as a species. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't have to be an animal either, Yeah, it doesn't have to be a plant. I mean, it really could be kind of going to keep it open. Um, I know that I have a few in mind that I have really, really enjoyed my research over where um, there really is this integration of traditional ecological knowledge and scientific ecological knowledge and really how they're working together to save one species and they're working together. I know, so, that's so awesome. Yeah. So like they're working together to like, it's the feds, it's the tribes, it's the state. Like, so everyone is like working together and managing it and really producing some really amazing things. And so I know I want to talk about it a little bit because um, I'm, I love conservation biology and this is kind of right up my alley. Mm, and so um, they're going to be sporadic. I don't know if it's going to be every other Tuesday, maybe one Tuesday a month. Um, being on Indian time, we are both graduate students. So our, our time is is very um, laid out for our, for our week. And yeah, so. <laughs> very limited time for sure. <laughs> yeah. And definitely, I want to do it, once we get more free time, I want to do it more regularly because there are amazing things out there and I want people to know about it. Along with that, we kind of have another really cool topic that I think that you can attest to as we have amazing mothers, is like really having like a a podcast episode where we talk about strong indigenous women. I totally agree. Just our moms moms. are amazing. Mm -hmm. But all the different women that we've been learning about in this program. Mm-hmm. And then of course we work with, well, we were the, our mentor <laughs> yeah. is one of those amazing, strong indigenous women. I know. And I love Robin. It's something about the presence of happy, strong indigenous women that just make you happy and just make you feel like I'm going to get through this week and I'm going to do this. And it's such a refreshing feeling. And then working with Robin and working with Cynthia, I feel just that women bring such a presence. Not that men don't. And I don't. I don't want to say that that there's this disconnect. But I mean, something about just a strong indigenous woman, whether it's like a motherly feeling or a grandmotherly feeling or some, something about a strong indigenous woman is just something that I wanted to spend a whole episode just talking about. Hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Because 
there's a lot of attention being drawn to women these days. Mm -hmm. And I know some men feel like they're being slighted or that their rights aren't being respected. But I don't see it like that at all. The way I feel is that women have been oppressed for so long. In a lot of ways, like indigenous people have been oppressed for so long that now there needs to offset that oppression and to restore the balance there has to be this focus. There has to be this massive amount of tension to this area. Mm-hmm. And they call it the battle between the sexes. But I also don't see it that way either. It's really a reconciliation yeah. between the sexes. I and definitely agree. I think that it needs to be like where not one is better than the other, but everyone has something that they are supposed to do within the community. Yeah, we all have a role. Yeah. We all have a role, definitely. Hmm. And that's a good way to talk about our guests, some of the upcoming guests. But also, I think some of our first guests are going to be that, just Mm -hmm. strong native ladies. And we'll also have, I think, one of my favorite ideas for a recurring and constant episode release is about this idea that we keep coming, coming back to is being indigenous in the modern world and just how important that is to begin talking about and to have open dialogues among our communities, but also with our allies and with government officials and really making this a topic of discussion that people aren't afraid to talk about and are totally willing to explore together, collaboratively. And there'll be other different kinds of shows, but we'll talk about those as they come up. And... What's really kind of weird about running the show on Indian time is that I've noticed it tends to allow freedom, not just in the time, but in how we express ourselves through Mm -hmm. that time. Yeah. And to kind of wrap up this thought of the format of the show, I really want to give a shout out to our cohort. Yes. The other two members of our cohort. There was a third, so there was five of us in the beginning, but one of the members of our cohort had to walk another path, and that's cool. Uh, We all got our path, and Mm -hmm. it's up to us to walk it. But now the other two in our cohort are Kaya Deerinwater, a strong Native man and father. He's an amazing botanist. Yeah. I know he's such a nerd and I love him for that, man. Yeah. I thought that I I'd met some really talented botanists in the past, but when I started talking to Kaya, his level of taxonomic knowledge mm-hmm. is pretty badass. Yep. And then there's Cynthia Coleman and she's like the grandma of our cohort. She brings so much wisdom to, like, my everyday disasters that I feel are, like, going to be the end of my day. And, like, I don't know what I would do without her. <laughs> oh, cause, like... <laughs> I love her laugh. She is one of my favorite laughs. Yeah. So I don't know what I would do without these two. So I'm glad that they are going to be our first guests because I feel like I definitely would not know how I would finish this program without the other people in the program. Hmm. Likewise. And then in our advisors, too. Our advisors, We have really yes. awesome advisors. And that'll be another upcoming guest. Mm-hmm. Eventually, we'll have Robin Kimmerer on the show. And she is 
a really amazing woman, and she is a best-selling author of Braiding Sweetgrass as well as Gathering Moss, and she's had all sorts of publications over the decades about this topic that we're talking about, Mm -hmm. either integrating different ways of knowing or just indigenous knowledge in general, and specifically traditional ecological knowledge, which will also spend a a whole episode talking about that'll be one of our episodes where we'll talk about a phrase or a word or something and we'll really dive into it in depth and just like we started the show we both agreed pretty early on that we need to also end the show with gratitude so i want to express gratitude for the haudenosaunee people Mm -hmm. for this place and i'm just really grateful that they have been able to through all of this oppression and trauma, still maintain their responsibilities to the land. Mm-hmm. And they have their language still, and they have their ways, and they practice them a lot. And it's it's just been amazing to learn about this place being here. Yes. So I'm really grateful for that. And I'm very grateful to the institution, SUNY ESF, even though I, I totally have a bone to pick with Western institutions. <laughs> This one is definitely special. Yeah, it's nothing yeah. like a, a lot of other universities that I've looked at. Yeah. So the College of Environmental Science and Forestry is the shit, <laughs> I would say for sure. Yeah. And then, of course, I want to be grateful to Annie here. Because without you, I, I don't think I, I know I would have done podcasting, but I don't think I would have done this podcast. And in a weird roundabout way, you keep me accountable to keep it going. Mm-hmm. And I kind of knew that going into this, so I wanted to contribute as much as I could to that process, even though it's not really like a logical thing. We keep each other accountable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so today has been like a really long day for me. And just, just with school-wise and you know, thinking about what I'm grateful for, like so many things pop into my head. And like even though I've had a very, very long day... Like, I am still grateful for so many things. Mm. And I feel like that is just an amazing feeling for me to have. And so I'm just going to be very grateful for anyone who listens to this podcast. I feel like y'all are the 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 real champs right now. Um, We are working through really how how do we interact together, talking to each other and, and figuring out new equipment and just like moving and school. And so... If you have lasted this long, I just am super, <laughs> super grateful for for you guys and um, for future listening and just supporting us. And I'm just extremely grateful for Turtle because I've always wanted to do a podcast, but like I've never really had the courage to do it. I've never really felt like I've had the strength to do it just by myself or even with someone. And so without you, I don't think I would have. And so I'm, I will forever be grateful for for you giving me the courage and the strength to do it. I know that we wanted to kind of end the show in a way that would be kind of appropriate for for us. And so I know that this episode, I really wanted to say see you later in Salish. And I know that that will probably change. I'm kind of varying on the episode. So, Namaskar. Namaskar.